Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to share something that um, I did uh, last year. It was kind of a lockdown project. I, uh, I made a step at the front door of our house. Now, if you've been to our house in the last year, you've probably stepped on this step without knowing it. Um, I basically, I've got, got some bricks that were kind of lying around in Tim Simmons' garden. I did ask him. I didn't just sneak in and take them. Uh, and I got some paving slabs and cement from B&Q. And I began building this step outside our front door. There's no step, a big kind of step up into our front door. Right? It took me ages to do it. I was like measuring it up. I was mixing cement. I was cutting the slabs. I was getting the bricks all right. It took me a long, long time to do it. But eventually, I finished this step and I measured it all up. I got the spirit level out. I was like, okay, it's straight. That's good. I kind of tried standing on it. It's like, right, it's solid. It works. And I thought, you know what? You know, I know that self-praise isn't the best praise, but that step's all right, you know. That's pretty good. And then I, so I called Elizabeth out, proof of the pudding. Elizabeth, what do you think of my step? And she looked at it and she was like, that's actually pretty good <laughs> with a lot of surprise in her voice I have to say so that made me more pleased I was like yes this is great I'm so happy with my step I was so happy with my step that actually over the next few days at random times I would open the door walk out and just stand and look at my step some people are nodding they're thinking yeah I've, I've made something and I've done that and Elizabeth in the kitchen she'll be laughing what's Andy doing He's just looking at his step. And I take a good like five minutes, just be gazing at it and thinking, oh, that's a good step. That's, I really like that. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. And perhaps you've had a similar experience where you've, you've created something that's gone pretty well, you know, and you're pleased with it. And perhaps you've, you've baked something really nice or you did something creative in the garden, a new flower bed or a veg patch, or, or perhaps you, um, you decorated a room in your house really nicely. See, when we create something that goes well, there's a sense of satisfaction, isn't there? You know, it feels good. You're like, ah, oh, this is nice. Yes. Now, when I, I did my step, one of the, the first people who came to visit our house after I'd done it noticed it when they got to the door. I was like, yes. And, uh, and they said this. I mean, and this made my head just go huge. They were like, I like your step. Who made that for you? And the who made that was kind of almost like them saying, like, obviously a tradesperson's obviously made this. Like, you, you know, this is obviously a professional. And I was like, well, I made this step. And I was like, yes. I mean, this. trying to basically, you know, not be proud. But really, I was like, yeah, this is, this is my step. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. See, when we see a created thing, particularly if we like it, we naturally want to ask about its origin. Okay, like where did it come from? Who made this thing? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the origin, not of a, of a step. But, I mean, as much as I would love to talk about my step for half an hour. We're, we're going to look this morning uh, at the origin of, well, everything. We're going to look at the origin of everything. This morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 and see how God brought everything we can see, feel, smell and touch into being way back at the beginning. 
Now, this morning is the start of our new origin sermon series. I think we've had the slide up there, uh, which we're going to be going through over the next months. And we're going to basically, in this series, we're going to be going through Genesis chapters 1 to 4, looking at the origins of a whole bunch of things that are key when it comes to living life well. We're going to be, we're going to look at the origins of humanity. We're going to look at the origins of work, the origins of rest, the origins of sexuality, mission, conflict, and a whole bunch of other things as well. And my, and my hope with this series is that by exploring the origins of these things, it will help us to understand them in a new way, which I hope will in turn help us to live fuller, more purposeful, and joy-filled lives. So this morning, we're going to start the series by looking at the origins of everything from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. You can follow along in your Bibles, or it will appear on the screen behind me. Genesis 1, verses 125 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the, wa- between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So there you have it, the creation account of Genesis 1, or most of the creation account of Genesis 1. We haven't covered humans being made. Tom's going to look at that next week. But... Before we get stuck into the the passage, uh, I want to first talk about how to approach this passage. Uh, See, one of the things that can be really easy to do when it comes to Genesis chapter 1 is immediately start thinking about all the various debates there are over its interpretation amongst Christians. 
you know, questions inspired by this chapter have become long-running debates for many, many, many years. You know, for example, questions like, was the universe created in six literal 24-hour days or some longer period of time? Or another question that's been debated over is, is this chapter meant to explain a literal process or does it symbolically represent the work of God? Uh, or another question that's been kind of debated over is, is, is the, this, this the account of the absolute beginning moments of the earth's existence? Or did God create something earlier in between verses one or two that isn't mentioned? So there's lots of debates and questions amongst Christians over these. And there are a variety of Orthodox Christian positions on these questions. Now, if you'd like to explore them more, then and there's a bunch of resources, good books out there that I can recommend, but we're not really going to go there this morning. Rather than focus on the kind of more scientific questions of how and when, this morning we're going to look at the more theological questions of who and why. Because though Christians might disagree on, on how God created and when God created, one thing is pretty undeniable, and that is that Genesis 1 says God was the one who did the creating. Okay, that's clear. He is the creator. Christians are all absolutely 100% agreed on that. Now, this, this chapter was, was probably originally written by Moses, who wrote the rest of Genesis and the Pentateuch. Uh, it would have been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would have shown Moses this and told him to write it down. And it, it seems to be that Moses' purpose in writing Genesis 1 was, was to focus our minds on the, the creation account and the world around us. And his hope was that we would see through this the greatness of God who brought it all into being through the power of his words. Now it's interesting, God, if you count, you can go through this passage, God is actually referred to by name 24 times in this passage that we've just read. So clearly he is the main subject of this passage. Actually, creation is just kind of his, his handiwork, the thing that is there to tell us of him. And there's this great verse, um, which I've read many times and never really stopped to think about it, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul says, says this, for the creation of the world, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So, so creation is this fantastic source of revelation about who God is, which goes hand in hand with the more specific revelation of God in his word, uh, the Bible. Now, during the time in which the book of Genesis was written, which we reckon was between sort of three and three and a half thousand years ago, many cultures back then worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, sea creatures, and lots of other kind of natural wonders. All these things were worshipped as, as gods back then. What Genesis 1 does is it counters all of those cultures, as well as actually the naturalism of our modern day, by saying that none of these things are gods. Rather, they're just things created by the one true God. Genesis 1 tells us he alone is worthy of worship because he alone is the maker of absolutely everything. So that's what this, that's what this passage is, is getting at. That's just, and that's just a few things. I just wanted to share how to approach this passage before we get into it. Okay? So now let's look at what it actually says, which to summarize is God created everything. That's pretty much the summary. So, you know, could probably stop there, couldn't we really? But you know me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep going. So let's get into the passage. Opening line of Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven simply refers to the sky above. 
And the word for earth doesn't mean like the globe, but rather the land. So it's the skies and the land, the ground below us. Now this line is summarizing what's going to happen in the rest of the passage, which starts with the next line, which says, now the land was formless and empty. Now this phrase, formless and empty, it actually rhymes in Hebrew. Um, it's, It's called tohu va bohu. That's what it means, formless and empty. Now, when I read this sermon through to Elizabeth on Friday, as we often do, I'll just read it through, see, see, what, see what you think, Elizabeth. I read it through, and she got to this tohu va bohu bit, and she burst out laughing. And I was like, that's not a joke. That's Hebrew. There's nothing funny about that. I've, yeah. And she's like, why are you laughing? She says, well, it's an expression in German. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. Tohu va bohu is like when you kind of go into a room and, and, and everything's messed up and unordered and just like all wrecked and chaotic. You say, oh, uh, tohu va bohu. That's what it is. I was like, interesting. That is very interesting. I was like, really? I was like, yeah, she's talking about this. And I was like asking loads of questions about it. And so I suppose I was kind of thinking, you know, we should bring this phrase into English. We should translate it. You know, it's like, because I was thinking this morning when we arrived in this room, Anthony, like this room before, we, before the setup team gets here, it's very tohu va bohu, you know? It's very unordered and uninhabited, you know? We're going to set it up. Crash room. I'm pretty sure crash room, after the kids leave, you know, toys, every, there's a lot of tohu va bohu in there. I think we should bring that, that phrase in. Bring it into, I was going to say Kingsway, but bring it into Heaton's. <laughs> Sorry, corrected myself, corrected myself. So tohu va bohu means unordered and uninhabited. Now, this is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, which what we might call nothingness. And for the biblical authors, non-existence meant having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to pretty much say the same thing. It says, and darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. Now, the deep abyss is like a, like a dark, chaotic ocean. And it's another common way the ancients described the nothingness that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting. Because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. It says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach. You may have heard of that before, which which can refer to wind or breath or God's God's invisible presence. That's a really helpful way of, of describing ruach. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. And this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening, and there was morning. And every day addresses those problems introduced in verse two, that there's no order and there's no inhabitants. So on days one to three, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. And then on days four to six, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Now, I think we have like a slide that kind of explains it. If you move on to the next one, Anoush. Yeah, that's one there. So it's, it's basically you got one and three is these new realms, these three realms that God puts in. And then four to six is God filling those exact realms with things, with the sun and the moon and animals and birds and fish and everything. That's how it works. So they're kind of parallel to each other, one and three and four to six. Okay, so the first realm of order begins with light on day one. It says, let there be light. This is God's own glorious light and fills the, and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. And God's using light here to begin to establish the order of time. Okay, that's a crazy phrase, isn't it? Like, to begin to establish time. You're like, whoa, that blows my mind. Anyway, and then in day two, 
It says this, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. You think, water from water? What's going on there? Well, in the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the, the sky was perceived as a, as a solid dome or vault that holds back waters. And God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half. One half above and one half below. Because they're thinking, well, the sky kind of looks like water. It's the same kind of color. That's what they would have thought that was. So, which creates the realms of the skies and the seas. And then in day three, it says this, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. So God is, is establishing the realm of land and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of, these three realms, the realms of, of time, and we've got the realm of the skies and the seas, and we've got the realm of the land, and they all have order. Now it's time to go back and film, fill these realms of days one to three with inhabitants. And this is what happens in days four to six. So on, on day four, it says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. So God installs these lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. And it gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. And then on day five, it says, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. And these are the, the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above the, the sky. And then finally on day six, it says, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live in the land. And then matching the bonus act of creation in day three, God makes a special land creature human, or in Hebrew, Adam. And then God provides all those plants from day three as food. Now, over and over, God says that what he created was good. But then after making humans, God says it was very good. Yeah, we're very good. Humanity is the climax of days one to six, which we will look at in more detail next week because we're going to look at the origin of humanity next week. So, so there we have it. God created everything. It all originated with him. And sometimes people say, well, aren't, isn't science and Christianity opposed and science against the Bible? I don't think so. I think science can be very helpful to us in understanding how God did this. You know, science is not opposed to the Bible. Good science can go hand in hand with good theology. I firmly believe that. But what we're saying here is that actually, when you, when you come back to it, what actually originated, what actually started everything, the creator was God. It all originated from him. So what do, we, what do we do about all this today? I heard, a, I heard a story recently about Pete Gregg. I think you may, you may have known Pete Gregg, who runs 24-7 Prayer. He's written lots of books on prayer. Um, and he, he shared one time, he said that he, he was just out walking his dog one day. And I went out near his house, along, along the street. And he said, he said well, I was walking the dog, and I just felt God speak to me in such a clear way. He said, like, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was, like, as close as you can get. And he said, God just said, look at that tree. And Pete Gregg's like, okay, God. So he stops, his dog's there, and he looks at this tree on the side of the road. And he's, he's thinking, okay, wow, God's told me to look at this tree. Is this... Is God going to speak to me through this tree? Is there going to be like words of knowledge? Is this going to be like my burning bush moment? And you're like, wow, yes. And you can tell this great story in church about how God, you know, the tree burned. And like he spoke to me and said, right, go. Pray for the nations and see revival. So he said, but he said, oh, that didn't happen. I just stood there 
looking at the tree, and nothing happened. And I stood there looking at the tree for a good three, four minutes, and like people are walking along the pavement, thinking, what weird guy just stand looking at a tree, what's going on there? And then after a while, I just said, Lord, like, you know, I'm waiting, Lord, like, what is it about this tree you want me to see? And God just said, I just thought it was a good tree. That's all. That was it. And, and, you know, God just wanted him to stop and enjoy his creation. Not any words or pictures or anything kind of like, you know, this is where you're going to ministry, he's going to go. And like, just, just want you to enjoy that tree. So we prayed, Lord, that's a good tree. Well done, Lord. <laughs> and walked on with his dog. And that was it. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it kind of, I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing this. So I'm sitting there, I've got my little office, which essentially is Grace's bedroom, but I put a desk in it. And there's a window. And if you've been to our house, outside the front of our house, it's a massive tree. And I just, I just stopped on Friday as I was preparing this, looked out at the tree. And I just stopped, looked at the texture of the bark on the tree, loads of different colors of the bark, looked at the thousands of leaves, all like just different. And, and then started to recall um, like some of my kind of GCSE biology, you know, about how just amazing trees function. Um, I started recalling some of that. And I was just, there was something where you just went, wow. God made that tree, you know, like chloroplasts and chlorophyll and all that kind of stuff that just works together. It's amazing. And, you know, as I sat there and looked at that tree for a few minutes, all right, if you'd been there, you probably thought I'm weird. What are you doing? Uh, I, I, there's something I, I don't know. I it's hard to describe. I, I don't want to use this phrase, but I think it's the best phrase to describe it because often we can use this and it's a bit jargony. But I kind of felt the sense of the presence of God through looking at, mulling over, and appreciating a tree that's sat at my house forever, and I've never really noticed it. And I was just like, wow. And, and then I just I thought of that, that verse I just written, read earlier, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And I was like, wow, it explains it perfectly. God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature can be clearly seen through what has been made. And I was like, wow. So I don't know, I just, when it comes to how do we respond to this, I want to encourage you to just take a few moments this week, stop, put your phone down, and just enjoy God's creation, yeah? Look at a tree, like a butterfly, or a spider's web, or a, or a rainbow, or a, I don't know, go out into the garden. I mean, it's hard in Manchester because it's always cloudy, but go out into the garden. If you can get a clear night, just look up at the stars, you know, and be like, wow. Enjoy them, and just like, yeah, God did that. God made those, and just allow that to kind of seep into you and enjoy it. Um, I think you know, kids are the best at this. You know, we went to Munich with, with uh, Elizabeth, Max and Grace over, over summer. And, uh, and, uh, and Max, like, you go along, when he sees a snail, whoa, it's a snail. He's down on his knees. He's looking at it. He enjoys the snail. <laughs> it's, there's, there's joy in it. And I think I want us to almost recover some of that joy of just, like, God's creation. Just be like, yes, it's awesome. Elizabeth said, she, when I was reading this through to her earlier, she said, yeah, you know what's really good? Go to the zoo. I was at the zoo last week. And I was looking at the giraffes. I'm thinking, God, what on earth? Like, giraffes. They're the craziest things ever, God. Like, what we, you know, but like, it, it, yeah, it's God's creation. There are some amazing things out there. I remember uh, when I was uh, first year at uni, one of my friends, one of the first person I met, actually, one of my best friends, uh, 
was on my, my, my kind of, in my halls in first year, and he wasn't a Christian when he came, a guy called Josh from, from Blackburn, and uh, he, uh, he wasn't a Christian, but about halfway through the year, he, he eventually became a, became a Christian. Um, I'd talked to him about stuff, and he had a bunch of other Christian friends who, who, who had a chat to him and share the gospel with him. But I remember asking him, I was like, what was it that, like, that finally led you to give your life to Christ? And he says, you know, because he was a medic, he was obviously trained to be a doctor. He said, yeah, I was, I was part of the anatomy class I took in first year was, was I had to study the human hand. And he was like, there's 27 tiny bones in the human hand. There's 30 muscles and there's over 100 tendons and ligaments in the human hand. It is one of the most intricate, awesome things you can ever imagine. He says, I was just there in my class and I just remember thinking, there is no way this came about by chance. This was designed, there's a God, I need to worship him. And that was what he said, and I was like, wow. See, God's creation is such an incredible display of his creativity, his power and intelligence. And when we marvel at the intricacy of the human body or enjoy a beautiful sunset or look up at the stars on a clear night, it should make us want to worship, shouldn't it? It should make us want to worship. You know, as I was preparing for this uh, sermon this week, um, I think one other response that, that's really challenged me, and it's something I've been thinking about over these last few months, actually, is I've been really challenged myself, and through this sermon, about my responsibility towards stewarding like the earth and its resources. Now, this is something new for me. I'll be honest, I've never really thought much about this before. Like, it's not, I don't know how to say this, it's, it's not my political orientation it's not my like I'm a farmer's son from the countryside I, I'm not the kind of oh let's get into thinking about eco stuff it's just not my natural inclination but I just just been challenged through the bible and through God to really reevaluate a lot of the choices that I make about where I buy things from like what effect things I buy or having on the people who make them and on the planet what clothes I buy where I buy clothes how much stuff I need about maybe living more simply I got a coffee machine for my birthday and Elizabeth and I were kind of thinking, okay, look, how can we get one that actually is good for the environment? I have never done that before. But it's these kind of things. And I think it's really important for us as Christians to think about how we can better take care of the world that God has made. So creation, God wants us to enjoy it. It should lead us to worship him, but also to think about how we can actually better take care of it in our everyday lives. So just as we finish, Genesis 1 is, is how things were in the beginning. Everything was good. That was God's intention. But then, as we know, sin came in and it tainted creation. All of a sudden, there were droughts, tsunamis, wildfires, earthquakes, things that caused harm and destruction. But the day's going to come, the day's going to come when creation will be restored to what it was. And because of Jesus' triumph over sin at the cross, one day God will renew and restore his creation to be perfect one, uh, once again. And the good news is that for those of us who are his, he will do the same with us. And we'll get to live in that perfect world where there will be no more crying or mourning or death or pain because the old order of things will have passed away. That is good news, isn't it? You can speak from behind those masks. That is good news, isn't it? Yes, that is good news. So that is what Genesis 1 speaks of. It speaks of who God is. It speaks of hope. And it speaks of assurance that God has made it. God was there in the beginning and God will be right there in the end as well. We're kind of in the middle, but we're going to this great place. So let's stand on our feet. I'm going to pray.